0: Let me start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the lives that we have. You have created us. You made us in your image. And you breathed life into us. We thank you for providing a way that we could be reconciled with you. And Father, we've... uh, come here to learn how to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ that are wounded, to restore them to wholeness, would you guard this time now for us so that nothing would interrupt us? And also, Father, would you help me to speak clearly? Would you help us to understand each other? I know that you've given us each your spirit, and so we can agree on what's true and right. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how was prayer resolution developed? You can turn on your syllabus to page five, your written syllabus. Prayer resolution was developed by Richard Connie Smith, and the Smiths were trained as linguists, by Wycliffe and they um, spent the first 11 years on the field in the Amazon jungle with the tribe. And so they lived with them and they learned the language and this particular written tribe, this particular tribe didn't have a written language and so they also uh, developed the written language for them and taught them that language and, um, and then later they translated a portion of the New Testament. After 11 years, they left, and a new team, two years after they left, the new team came and finished the New Testament. And so that was uh, their first 11 years on the field. So they're linguists by training, and uh, Bible translators is what they apply it to. And this people that they had lived with, they had forgotten that there even was a God. They didn't really have a system of right and wrong, a concept of sin. Instead, they just had taboos, things that they uh shouldn't do. But Jesus died for our sins, not for these taboos that they had. So as they presented the gospel to this group of people, they had to stress being in God's family, uh, not sin. And, um, after they received the Lord, they acknowledged that Jesus had paid for their sins, and they gave their testimonies, which was proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So after 11 years, uh, with this tribe in Colombia, God called them to Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, they were under the national church and they were in charge of translating uh, the Bible into two languages, Hadaya and Kambada uh, languages. And um, the translation was done by national workers. They trained teams of national workers to translate and so the two New Testaments were done in 1993, and then the whole Bible was done for both languages uh, in 2012. And now the, these two groups of people in Ethiopia, they lived kind of in an Old Testament kind of culture. There was one and a half million people, and um, there's kind of a mix of pagan beliefs and Christian beliefs, and, um, Because Christians had only, it's only second generation of Christians. Um, They did have the Bible in another language, but they didn't understand it very clearly because it wasn't their language. Also, during their time in Africa and Northern Africa, they ran a semester abroad program uh, to train missionaries. and um, this was run in a, in a close country, so it was stressful and sometimes dangerous. The program itself was uh, accredited by Biola and Biola University and also by William Carey International University up through uh, the PhD level. So this, their students... Uh, were going to the field uh, and they joined the semester abroad program to learn how to enter well, how to enter a new culture, a new language, a new place, how to enter well. And so the Smiths taught them um, good observation skills. They developed their observation skills. And also taught them how to effective ways of communicating the gospel uh, across cultural. Um, they also, their students learned to be more sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit. And their students grew stronger spiritually and emotionally and mentally as Christian workers. And then the last thing is that um, they, they learned... They learned from their experiences. Uh, previously, most of the learning was by books, but they learned from their experience and realized that, that this also can be passed on, that what they learn in real life can be passed on to others. And so these were all skills and that they developed uh, while they were in the entry program uh, run by the Smiths. Now it was during this, semester abroad program that uh, prayer resolution was born. Uh, it was stressful, it was intense. Uh, the program was stressful and intense, and as I mentioned, uh, potentially dangerous. And um, they were out of their element. And so one by one, the students came to the mess with the emotional and spiritual problems And so there wasn't anybody else to help. Their students, So Richard and Connie did, they helped them. And so the two Bible translators, the two linguists became uh, counselors for their students in their semester abroad program. Uh, Initially, their focus was on forgiveness issues. um, But later they realized that this was important Prayer resolution was important also to converts. There were not just forgiveness issues, but lots of, uh, in this particular area, there were some occult kind of activities that had to be dealt with. And so piece by piece, um, prayer resolution was developed as different needs appeared. So even though missionaries could be equipped spiritually, academically, and culturally, there were still things from their past that had to be dealt with. And if they weren't dealt with, then Satan uh, would use these to make those workers dissatisfied, unhappy, ineffective uh, in their work. And so in 1990, uh, the Smiths, Created cross resources. And it was through cross resources that uh, prayer resolution um, has been uh, promoted and uh, safe helpers have been trained uh, over the years. Initially, the cross resources initially was in Bland, Virginia. Uh, Currently, the office is in Tempe, Arizona. And Connie uh, Smith is in Florida. Uh, Richard passed away last year in November, and we miss him dearly. He was a um, great man of God, son of God, and um, and he really has had such a huge impact on so many people uh, around the world, uh, including myself. And so my wife and I are so grateful for um their love and care, and for restoring us, and also for training us, so that we too can help others. And so, um, yeah. So, Connie is in Florida, and uh, the Cross Resource Office is in Tempe, Arizona. Now, I think one key point about uh, prayer resolution is it's part of the gospel. You know, there's the gospel for unbelievers, that they can be saved, that they can have eternal life through faith in Christ. Through Christ's sacrifice for them, they can be reconciled to God. But there's also a gospel message for believers. There's good news for believers God has promised us the fullness of life. And um, in order to experience that, we need to put off all these old things, things from the past, and renew our minds so we can put on these new things, these this fullness fullness of life things. And so that's what prayer resolution does, is it um, helps those who believe. Experience the fullness of life by putting off all these old things. And so I think it's part of the gospel. It's not, it's not just counseling. It's part of the gospel message. And every single believer should know how to forgive and how to help others to forgive. And a lot of Christians have friends or acquaintances that come to them for help. Uh, with a variety of emotional and spiritual problems. And uh, they can help. They can be trained. They are already safe, but they may not be very uh, helpful. So prayer resolution can help them become uh, more effective. Um, last year, we created a video called The Beginnings of PR. And so uh, I think... You'll find it interesting how Per resolution developed, and uh, so enjoy the video now of Richard and Connie talking about the early days of per
1: resolution
2: Hi. Um, I am Dr. Uh, Richard D. Smith. I don't usually worry. I use that all the titles, but actually I'm just Richard to the rest of the world. But uh, as I'm talking today, also there's gonna be a time that Connie, my wife will be talking because we work together in this uh, creating this model of fair resolution that is. So uh, when I say dynamic is all I guess best word I can use. Uh, as we were thinking back on this, we did not enter into prayer resolution. We didn't intend to go into prayer resolution. <laughs> it was more that we were doing other things. And God brought a person into our life that forced us to do prayer resolution. And uh, forced us to suddenly use all the tools and knowledge and intuition and, and all that uh, that was in us, and yet we did not even know it, it was there. So as I share with you, just, just this very first topic, I recognize the fact that we had never talked about praying in the way that we prayed. We'd never done this before with someone. And so this was the first person. And it was like uh, God had a choice. He could sort of take us down the road little by little and open up the i might say the big box that's called Federal Solution. Uh, or you could take us to the edge of the ocean, the edge of the swimming pool, and push us into the deep end. And that is more the way that, that God determines to do it. <laughs> and again, so this is the first time that uh, we work with them, And we'll just call her Carmen, that's not her name. But uh, we ran a course in Morocco. And These are people who were dedicated to serve the Lord, and some were quite educated and some not. Uh, But in that setting, uh, people, if they had any kind of a background, they had any kind of a background that was, I said, was a flawed, under the stress and strain of, of, uh, Living and studying in North Africa, uh, it would only get bigger, only cause more problems. And so as the courses went on year by year, uh, we encountered a number of different ones in which we, you might say, learned lessons as we dealt with each one. So here was Carmen, and we were on the train, and uh, it was during the middle of the course. And she came up to us, came up to Connie actually and said, uh, uh, Connie, uh, my boyfriend is talking to me. Ex-boyfriend. And then uh, my ex-boyfriend is talking to me. And he's telling to me, uh, he's just saying, uh, Carmen, I'm not going to let you go. You're mine and uh, I won't, I won't, you can't leave me. And she said, he keeps telling me this over and over again in my head. And uh, we thought, well, this was, you know, rather interesting. But also the problem was we're on a train heading to a different part of North Africa, and there's no way in in that kind of a setting we'd work with her. So I went ahead and prayed with her.
1: And, Richard, don't forget to mention the fact that this was in the mid-'80s, and the ex-boyfriend is in California, and Carmen is on a train in North Africa, and he is talking to her.
2: And the reason this was so was that, I mean, she shared later on was that uh, she and her boyfriend were practicing the various giftings of uh, ESP, uh, including uh, talking uh, at a distance. You know, moving things on a table, things like this. So anyway, we could not work with her at that time. So this is where uh, I had never done it before. But I felt like I needed to just pray a covering prayer over her. And this is something that is now, if you haven't taught it, you will be. Uh, But I prayed for her and asked God to cover her with a hedge of protection so that the boyfriend's uh, words couldn't get through to her any longer. And uh, my prayer lasted about a week. And then I would have to renew the, the covering. But I thought that was interesting. Both interesting because it worked, which is, you know, at this point, in, that, in our past life, shall we say, we would pray and not expect God particularly to answer and God answered very specifically in this covenant prayer. So then later, when we were back then in Spain, uh, and we were finally alone with Carmen, uh, this is the kind of stuff suddenly that we had to deal with. Uh, one is says she had this ex-boyfriend, who, and they had uh, committed a, you know, over a period of, I think, a couple years, uh, fornication, Uh and then also out of this times of fornication, uh, had come a time of abortion. And whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, it doesn't matter if, uh, you feel guilt and you need to, we need to deal with the guilt. In this case, she was pro-life, but was forced by everyone to be pro-choice or to, anyway, to, to get the, uh, the uh, abortion. And won't we'll go any further in that and how we dealt with it, just the fact that we certainly were dealing with just the sins of fornication and also the sins of, of abortion and all the complications that came with that. Also, uh, as we were working with her in uh, eventually in this area of abortion, we began to I came up with actually the term greater circle. And the greater circle is those people in addition to the one or the two who are dealing with, that you're dealing with, uh, who you, you have anger towards or something you've done to them. It's usually more than that. There's others involved who either help or hinder the situation. So this is the greater circle. So that's already you know, I was forming something that I did not realize was a part of a, of a pattern. Then uh, also, uh, she had a uh, time where she uh, had a, she had a grandmother, and the grandmother kept uh, uh, showing up and trying to pass on her called gift to her granddaughter. Now you might say, "Oh, well, this is you know, so," but the problem is, the grandmother was dead, and yet continuing to appear to to Carmen to pass on her gift. So, uh, again, you know, this isn't, we we didn't have this uh, formula prayer. And now we could have used it three or four times and it just all worked. Each one had to be dealt with all on its own. Then another complication we had, we ran into the fact that uh, she had a spirit in her, evil spirit. And she had been delivered of this spirit. In, uh, I think, let's say California, somewhere anyway. And uh, so she'd been delivered. So, why in the world is this spirit still hanging around? And at that point, then, as we were dealing with her, uh, we brought up and began to use this area of what is it, the legality that allows a spirit to hang on. When when we cast them out supposedly, and if it, they have legal reasons for being in or with us, and uh, how to root that out before you then actually deal with the deliverance. Then another thing we had with with Carmen, we you know you, th- you think you're done by now, uh, is that there's a scene where she's on a table, and a bruja or a brujo uh, a a witch doctor, for like a better word, uh, has her on a table and is sacrificing a chicken on her and also an egg and a few other things. Uh, and she's you know, receiving this this uh, writ. And we, I can't remember right now what it was for, if it was to uh, a build a fence, in a, in a a fence between her and a grandmother. And this was a way of doing it or it was something else, but it was a very major point and uh, something that's a very serious thing
1: in looking at
2: God's law and how God responds to people who both allow themselves to do this type of stuff, as well as people who allow it to be done to them. A Another thing we we picked up in this case too, also was that uh, uh, I can't
1: read this. Well, one of the things was that she herself had actually gone to a um, oh, well. Right. Uh, let's just say a, a, a witch. And to get a, um a portion, potion made so that the one that she was interested in, the man that she was interested in would fall in love with her. So all of these cases where she's dabbling here, there and everywhere in the occult is what we're bringing these pieces up about.
2: And I recognize that when she went to get the charm, the charming done, uh, this was done in a, in a ma- major U.S. city in which you went to a, a, you might say, religious store. And in in the back room, they provided these kind of services also. But at the same time, selling Bibles in the front. <laughs> so this is not the kind of thing you expect from within an American setting, but it is. So, as we dealt with these, again, we had to basically, uh, just sort of, I wouldn't say guess is the wrong word. It, intuitively, we, we felt like certain things needed to be done. And uh, one thing that we, we felt like needed to be done was that she needed to pray to, the, to the, her Heavenly Father, not Jesus. And yet, again, in our background, uh, we would tend to be dear Jesus everything, <laughs> very very except when you do the Lord's prayer, everything else is Jesus. And yet we had her praying to the Heavenly Father, and standing on herself as, uh, as her, as a child of God, as a daughter of God. We also did not pray for her; we guided her in prayer, and then we witnessed that prayer. And we won't go into more detail now with what that meant. Because we did not even think about what it meant initially, we just felt we needed to. All through here, this what is so funny, I keep you know smiling because, uh, we, in a sense, we didn't know what we were doing at the same time we did, and it's because we had a good Bible background. We had a both of us have degrees in linguistics, in which you think in very logical ways. In way you would which you create models, and you might say the model uh, may or may not be complete, but as you get more stuff into it, if it doesn't fit then you don't you don't throw away the piece that you try to fit in there you, you create the model so it will handle that piece also like such a thing as when someone makes a valve for instance, if you haven't created the uh, Means to do that, and you you don't throw away vowels and the need for dealing with vowels. Rather, you need a model that has to be reconstructed so that part of it uh, deals with vowels. And how do you do that? Not something that just comes off the top of your head. And then also, we had done a a great deal of uh, of reading way back in the sixties when we were in Columbia. We were doing a great great deal of of reading uh, on prayer and just the various kinds of movements going on in America when we were in the jungles of Columbia. So you put it all together and in a sense, God was preparing us for prayer resolution, but we did not understand what we were doing so much as we did it because it felt the right, it was the right thing to do as the, as the Holy Spirit guided us. And then at the end of the day, we would talk together and discuss why did we pray this way instead of this way (laughs) and open our Bibles and start looking at it in a different way. And in my case, um, I had to go back to the Old Testament to find out some of the justification for why we were praying this way, as well as beginning to get an idea that it was very important that we pray to the Heavenly Father because Jesus is a great high priest, and he provides a sacrifice. So in a sense, it sounds funny to say that the Heavenly Father is the one that, that forgives. And in a sense, he's the one who answers our prayers. For the most part, it's not Jesus. And it sounds like heresy, but right? it's true. But then there's this tremendous role that the Holy Spirit has. And fortunately, in our working in Colombia, and we won't go into the story about it, but we learned so much about the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit worked in very unusual ways before we ever uh, hit North Africa. So within this setting then, uh, what was interesting is here's someone who was, you might say, well, damage is a word. She was quite damaged within herself, and yet outward appearance, she appeared to be a, a, a oh, she was a lovely, lovely little lady, and very dedicated to the Lord. We had people go and live in in North Africa in, in Muslim homes, and within that setting, they're learning Arabic, they're eating, and you might say it behaving as much as you can in a Moroccan way and, and, and uh, under a great deal of stress, by the way. Sometimes the family speaks English. Sometimes it's fam- the family doesn't speak any English. And in this case, she was, they call her Norda. And uh, that means light. Light like you turn on a light. And, and so here's this wounded person living in this Muslim family. And they see the earth's light. And at the end of the program, uh, two ladies in in a Muslim situation became Christians. And they came Christian because of, of her testimony. You might say, for the most part, her much more of a, her wordless testimony as much as her words. And... Not only at that, but in this particular time, this particular year, we had people who had a master's degree in theology and uh, various levels of of education. And probably she was the least educated and, again, the most wounded. And yet God used her to be a light, you might do to, to the world, and, and they accepted the work. So that's just one of the, the blessings we had. But all of a sudden, we found we were in prayer resolution. And when we dealt with her on forgiveness issues, uh, right away we ran into a summon block because I didn't quite understand. I didn't feel right with the way we were going. And I looked in, in my library at that time. And I looked at three different books on forgiveness, and not one of them uh, did I really agree with. And yet, there was the a standard Christian model for forgiveness. So we had to, uh, you know, well, we had to create our own definition of forgiveness. And maybe Connie mentioned to define that later on. Here. Um, so, so we did. And at that, out of this time here. In, in forming this uh, model for forgiveness that we were forced to create, uh came the grounds for me writing the, my first uh booklet, the first small book on forgiveness. And for some reason that book has had a tremendous impact uh around the world uh and more than I ever thought about. It. But it came out of this particular time. Different other books came out of our being suddenly in uh, contact with others. I'll okay. stop at this point, mm-hmm. and I'm going to turn it over to, don't, to, don't turn to it. Connie.
1: Oh, look at, look at Connie. See? One of the things then that, that happened when uh, we were finished with Carmen, and Carmen went, back into North Africa to continue the the five-month program, uh, was we, as Richard said, we began to discuss why we did what we did and and so on and so forth. But then uh, the amazing thing was that, uh, well, amazing, it's the way Richard works. Uh, He wrote up this as a case study. And he sent it out to, I believe it was five different entities. He sent it to, uh, a a professor of of doctrine and theology. He sent it to, uh, uh, to a, uh, professor of doctrine at, at a seminary, uh, to a clinical, uh, PhD in clinical psychology. And to two different uh, well-versed pastors that uh, we respected very highly, but one charismatic. And one but fun, yeah. yeah, they were two very distinct. Um, well, one was charismatic, and and in the 70s and 80s that was a big deal. And uh, one was not. I don't know that he was anti, but he was not charismatic so he sent this uh to them for the purpose of them looking it over and seeing if there was anything scripturally wrong or psychologically um harmful or anything that they could find to critique about it uh so that we could Improve it because Richard has always been one who is looking for things done properly and rightly. And, uh, there's,
2: it's it's a Wycliffe way.
1: Yeah, that's really the Wycliffe way is, is to produce the best and the closest to what God is if God were speaking it as you can get. Uh, so anyway, that, that came out of that, and it was interesting that not one of these had anything negative to say. They thought that everything we had done was done decently and in order, and that it was scripturally sound, even though you don't necessarily have a Bible verse. Uh, to back up things, you kind of get into trouble when you try to find a Bible verse to back you up on something. You need to look at the, the whole of scripture and the principles found therein and the character of God and all of these kind of things that help you define what that verse is really talking about. But anyway, that's that's another lesson for another time but just just to show that uh, this is not something new in revelation there is no nothing new that you're even really learning. Um, it may be put together in a way that you had never heard before, but this is not some new prayer resolution is not some new. Revelation that God waited 2,000 years to share uh, with Richard and Connie um, as something special, but He did utilize us to develop the steps and the format and the so on as uh, that you are learning in this webinar. So we just wanted to uh, to say that, but also. There, uh, We came into this whole thing uh, with some assumptions. One was that when you see someone who is hurting and they've come to you for help, then our hearts were at that point open enough to receive that and to do what we could do. To help. And we were working under the assumption that that God wants to resolve all the issues that we face in life. So that they these issues have no power or force in our life. And that he has a way um, to connect the dots, so to speak, for each one of these situations. We don't know yet what they were, but we came with the assumption that he would show us. And then, thirdly, as Richard was was talking, if there's something in our doctrine or in anything else, um, and now we're facing data, we're facing a situation that doesn't quite fit. We had to quite kind of. Look at the thing and see, once again, taken from the linguistic standpoint, the scientific analysis of things, you come up with an idea, and then you look at the data that fits what data you have. But when you get new data and it doesn't fit, well, then you don't throw away the data. You revamp your, your hypotheses which is what doctrine is. It's man trying to understand and put down in succinct ways uh, an understanding of God. And sometimes we get stretched beyond that and we just have to remember to don't throw away the data, just be willing to open your mind enough to see how that data fits in to uh, a revised statement of belief, I guess you'd say. Anyway, I, did, I just throw that in for free. Um, is there anything else you wanted me to say about uh, this Carmen thing? By the way, mm. when we finished with Carmen, <laughs> uh you knew we were finished. You knew we were finished. And it was an amazing, amazing thing. It was really, really difficult, and we depended wholeheartedly on the Holy Spirit. that it
2: worked. What surprised us was that uh, God answered. I mean, isn't that tragic? <laughs> Here are years of... of- Tra- years of, of training and, and uh, service and all, and we're surprised when God answers. But this is basically the West Bend: is you pray in sort of vague ways, and then you just hope He answers. But you have a usually a sermon that says the three ways that you know He really answers when He doesn't. <laughs> and and what it I don't know the word to use. What is the tragedy that 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 we should be surprised when God answered prayer, but unfortunately, so much of the time uh, in the Christian world, this is this is this is what's true: is you pray, and uh, and then you sort of walk away, uh, hoping that God will answer your prayers. Well, all we know is that when we pray in the right way, God always does. But, uh, before that, we were very much, uh, skeptics in prayer.
1: You should keep moving this around, again. Oh, there's that. Uh, one other piece I want to share before, uh, Richard goes on with the, uh, with the next step. So as he was saying, this, the, You're going on with it. this first step was the, uh, that they're coming up with a, a definition of forgiveness. Uh, we all know that, uh, that we need to forgive and all of that. We're commanded to forgive and, but when you're sitting across the table or across the room or whenever you're talking with someone and they're pouring their heart out and they're telling you, these horrendous things that people have done to them. It's just not very healing to say, well, you know, you have to forgive or God won't forgive you. I mean, that's true. It's scripture. But it's not very healing to forgive on that basis. And then uh, we're told, well, we want to to be like Jesus and and offer mercy well right at the moment I'm not feeling very merciful well we can obey the command and we can offer up forgiveness but that too is not very healing it's obedient but it's not very healing and you just had a few weeks ago a wonderful lesson on all of this but this now is how we came to this and so we were trying to find a definition which is very very difficult to find in christian literature a definition of what it really means so that we laymen can understand it not big words that that have no meaning to most of us, Uh, a definition of what forgiveness is. And what we came to was that we have a need, because we're created in God's image and all that stuff you all already learned, to uh, we have a need for justice when we are hurt, or offended. And forgiveness is trusting God enough to believe that he will see that justice is done and payment is made on my behalf. You see the offense was against me so it's me that's owed the justice. Isn't that exciting? Now the perpetrator the bad guy and God they've got their own things they need to deal with. So when I offer up forgiveness I'm trusting God to see that justice is done for me. That doesn't mean that God is forgiven. That Yes, they have to take care of with God but this this then makes it possible for me to give up the anger to give up the pain because I trust God to see that justice is done on my behalf to the point that I'm absolutely satisfied that's where that definition came from, is trying to work with Carmen and trying to have her forgive in a way that actually was a healing forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you want to go on to the...
2: Then another uh, very, what I say of, uh- dramatic time that we had that helped us to uh, further uh, fill out the model of resolution. Was uh, it was in Europe and uh, we were doing uh, some other thing. I mean, in other words, they, we were brought in to, to help a, a Christian group do some stuff. <laughs> and uh, which took up all of our time and yet the head of the counseling department came to us and said, well, would you please work with this friend of mine, Gina? Uh, I just can't handle her because she's always around me, considers me my best friend. And yet at the same time, she's uh, uh, just out of it. And uh, when we met her, when, when we met Gina, uh, she looked young and, and her eyes were sort of uh, zoned out, is the best way I could put it. So in our spare time, uh, we went ahead and spent, uh, it came out to be roughly uh, under 20 hours with her. Um, and we're working with other things. And the time that we work with people like this is on your, on your Sunday days and Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings. And, and week, your Saturdays. And weekday nights. <laughs> yeah, weekday nights in order to get it in, but you do it anyway. What's interesting with her was we worked with her, uh, let's say, between 15 and 20 hours. Uh, the things that we were dealing with was that she had been uh, a victim of, of, of uh, a number of rapes. She had been a victim of uh, years of, of incest. And, um, and then had gone to the field in, in the field by the way and had uh, also had been raped so when she came back uh, let's just say she was not a happy happy camper she would step on flowers if she saw them blooming uh, the group kept her isolated because they were a little bit afraid of her a psychiatrist in canada diagnosed her as a dual personality uh, this group had prayed for her for at least five years that God would heal her so uh, in 15 to 20 hours in our working with her uh, God healed her I do healed, you know, very often here but there's her sins were forgiven, and she had forgiven those horrible people that sinned against her. And uh, uh, in some way, we don't know at that particular time, was God uh, integrated her personalities. And she came out, she started out with us as a, as a younger woman with zoned out eyes. And uh, after a while, <laughs> she looked old.
1: Well, she I mean, looked old. She, she looked her age, but
2: she looked older. <laughs> but the the, the right. contrast was yeah. young and old, <laughs> and uh, and she was and her uh, personalities were were connected. And uh, what the the group, one of the counselors came by, and he said, uh, "You know, what you did was a miracle. It was a miracle that that God did in her life." The shame here is they never asked us what we did different from what they did. And, and again, she lived for years and years and years under this tremendous uh, burden. And uh, God's way is really, I mean, it sounds odd to say, but it really it's basically simple. If you understand this is what he wants, and then you got to pray in a way that he can answer. And that's all it takes. I mean, it sounds funny to say it in those terms, but that was what it was. Uh, what was interesting was that later on, uh, in in the past, I think would go. Not Gina. Gina. Gina would go uh, biking in France with this friend of hers. And um, so when they started out, they'd go to a travel agency or whatever. And uh, her friend would go up front, and Gina would stay in the back. And uh, after she had had this time with us, she suddenly was there in front (laughs) with her friend. And her friend said, you know, what's different about you? Well, well, this is the kind of thing that happens so often. They're suddenly doing behavior that you're unaware that you're even doing. But you're doing it when you're a healed person. As opposed to this tremendous burden you've had. So later on, as they were camping out, uh, Gina explained to her friend, uh, what, what she'd gone through. I mean, not in great deal or anything, but a little bit of the fact of, of the healing that she'd gone through. And her friend then, uh, shared with, with Gina, that she had been molested. And Gina's, uh, uh, Gina immediately response was, uh, oh my, where's Richard and Connie? We've got to get her, you know, get, get them here to help this lady. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, we weren't around. Meanwhile, we'd gone back to the States. So Gina just out of, she's now training. All she did was she did have prayer resolution. She was healed and, and, in that sense, it experienced God's uh, pattern for healing, and so she ended up uh, guiding her friend and guiding her friend towards uh accusation, you know, and, and extending forgiveness as well as her own for her own confession if that was needed, and uh, she healed her friend's. Uh, from that particular situation,
1: and the breaking of the bonds, and
2: yeah, other. Th- I mean, it's more than that. I mean, you you get it in the lessons here, but the point was that that uh, she was a, a she was a, in a sense a mature Christian, but uh, had not, did not have the tools because she hadn't gone through training. All she'd gone through was the experience of receiving prayer resolution. And so out of what she knew, she helps another person. And uh, praise God for that. And also part of this is that uh, when people receive prayer resolution from us, uh, we say, we tell them, uh, don't tell other people what you've been doing. Don't tell them that you've been with us. Just go ahead and just live your life. Let them come up to you and say, wow, what what's different about you? what you know you, you you're just different, and so it's it 's a witness that that's independent from you telling anybody about it and uh, this this half over and over and over again i 'm going to turn this over for Connie just to close
1: his time uh, for the last uh, two and a half years, Richard has been suffering from uh uh the leftover effects of a terrible shingles attack uh he almost died god very graciously saved his life but he still has a lot of the same, the residue was in his mouth and face and so on and so forth and so he has difficulty in talking and uh this is uh this week has been the first time that he's actually talked this much in two and a half years so we do praise God for for that much healing, and we continue to ask that, that the pain would uh, be removed or find some means of alleviating the pain. But uh, that's why he's uh, turning things over to me every once in a while here, though we tend to teach as a team uh just a few more uh notes from from those early beginnings now this this all began in the mid 80s and we have been doing this basically ever since in uh, 1995 uh god asked us to take off all the other hats of things that we were involved in doing um in ministry wise and to concentrate on moving prayer resolution forward and thus we did in 97 then uh we were uh we in, incorporated in a 501c3 tax uh deductible um, organization uh corporation um which is cross resources. And so cross resources is the, the one that offers the, the, uh, deductible. tax deduction to receipts. Prayer resolution is one of the ministries. Right now it's one of the major uh, ministries of cross resources. So that's where the cross resources things come in and uh, that what the website is cross-resources.org uh and <clears throat> uh there you'll find lots of interesting things if you have not looked at that website one of the things i would urge you to look at i would urge you that if you're really interested in trying to uh to be equipped to help people is that you do invest in the syllabus and that you do invest in the books because they're all more detailed, et cetera, than what you'd get in, in teaching. Uh, but also he, ha, Richard has written uh, 12, what he's called insights in which are position papers on different topics that are the rationale for why we do different things. For instance, one is on uh uh God is father and uh, um, so on and so forth and but they do they do provide they're they're <laughs> kind of partial a little bit of partiality here but uh they're very well written and they're short and they're very very helpful really get you to thinking even if you want to think in terms of trying to argue with him. And uh, they're, they're just good. The, the, um, we didn't talk about our beginnings, but uh, we were 35 years uh, uh, with the, Wycliffe Bible Translators, as translators. The first people group that we went to were an isolated people in the headwaters of the Amazon, so isolated that they had never seen paper. They had never seen a foreign woman or foreign children. <laughs> and um, we certainly were not able to be there as... Uh, uh the great white um benefactors they allowed us to come for two reasons one we had medicine and the other was as because we were under contract with the bureau of indian affairs uh we had they had some form of protection from the rubber hunters etc who were trying to exploit them having no books having no written language or anything they had uh no con- and more than anything, they had absolutely no concept of God. They had lost that in their culture eons ago. No concept of God. And God allowed us to go to these beautiful people. And we were 11 years with them. And then, uh, He took us from there, even before the work was finished, um, another one of those long stories that uh, where we acted out of obedience um, that much too long to go into here but he then asked us to go to Ethiopia well Ethiopia now was a totally different group of people we had uh, people who were educated we had uh established congregations, but they did not have the word of God in their own language. So our job was to train uh, two teams, uh, one for the Kambata language and one for the hadiya language, uh, train these people to translate the word of God uh, into their own languages. And it was really exciting. God did a, I mean, that was another wonderful experience of experiencing the, the work and power of the Holy Spirit and the, all, just, just the whole of the Godhead was so magnificent in those, in those years. Uh, it's interesting to note because after a few years, four years, God, God had us lead there, but that team went on to translate the entire Bible into each of their languages. A million in, uh, readers amongst the Hadia, and half a million amongst the Kambata, of people who now had God's word in their own language. Isn't that exciting? Lessons well learned, lessons well learned. But by the time the mid-80s came around, uh, then we ran this uh, semester abroad program uh, in cross-culture communication, basically. Uh, and then when we were finished with that, he led us on to other things. Uh, up until in 95, he asked us to take off all the other hats and to just move forward with prayer resolution. So there you have it, pretty much up to date. Um, We are just deeply uh, indebted to uh, uh, Mike and Denise and Ted and Deb and Barb uh, for stepping out and doing uh, this webinar. Remember, when we started... We didn't even have computers. We didn't have any means of communication. Talked to my parents in the first five years. Talked to my parents twice. And they were, that was by ham radio. And look, today, you know, (laughs) we can sit here in Florida and talk to you there in, oh, I don't know, Mongolia. Look at that. Anyway, thank you for this thank you for this time and thank you team for doing all this work of putting this all together.